Hiding in the shadows, haunting every show, it's time to unmask Phantom of the Opera. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. I was just about to say no singing this week, Alex. Absolutely no singing. We, we, I think we got our singing uh, quota in for the series last week. I still think we need to do a full musical episode. <laughs> you, you hate musicals. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely do. But You hate musical would, films, but you love musical podcasts. I like perform. Yes, exactly. I like performing. I like the art of performance rather than oh. the act of watching. I got you. I got you. Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Phantom of the Opera 1943. With me today is Monsieur Allais de Cornet. Oh, wow. How regal. And I got the sewer dweller, Eric, with me. Oh, well, gee, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> In, in reality, Alex, we're we're probably both the um, we're we're the police inspector and the baritone, right? That that's us yeah, just that walking us. through the door together at the same time, forty times throughout the movie. Yep, yep, that's uh, both us. both fighting for our listeners' love and affection. <laughs> yep, yep, and then both both ultimately failing at the end. No, of the both day. ultimately failing for sure. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, I, yeah, I actually think that's pretty funny. But real quick, before we get into the film, Alex, I do want to remind our listeners that this is the second to last episode before we tw- take a quick detour into a Jurassic Park series. We've got Jurassic World Dominion coming up this summer. And so we, we've been wanting to do a Jurassic Park series for a while. And this seems like the perfect opportunity. It's right at the midpoint, too of our universal box set. So I just think it's a great time to take a little breather. We've got a six film series and then come back to finish our universal series after that. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it for sure. (laughs) Uh, Anything else before we jump in, Alex? Anything else? Eric, I saw an article today, actually. Just briefly, briefly want to bring it up to you. You know, Usually this might be a, a uh, EVM Plus topic, but mm. I actually don't think it needs to be. Okay. Um, because it's just quick. Did you see what Jake Gyllenhaal said about being in the MCU? I did not. Really? Okay. He what, what said, did Jake Gyllenhaal say? He said it actually reinvigorated his love for acting. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. He said that he had kind of gotten to a point where he... I, I guess kind of felt like he didn't quite know what he wanted. And hmm. in his role as Mysterio, he realized that he had forgotten all about the fun and hmm. the excitement of acting. And that kind of rejuvenated him and made him want to do more roles like that. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, so a little someone not dissing Marvel for a change, and someone just kind of 
crediting it to maybe changing the perspective. Well, it, it did change his perspective on acting because mm. he had just kind of, I guess, gotten in a rut from kind of what I was reading and just kind of motivated sense. him. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I heard he doesn't take showers. That's the last thing I heard about Jake Gyllenhaal. But really, oh yeah, I think I did hear that too. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that I, that can make sense. I also think Tom Holland. Maybe this is just his persona, but he just seems like an enthusiastic sort of right? guy. So <laughs> I think probably acting alongside side Tom Holland would also probably reinvigorate your love for acting a little bit because he just seems so like Sparky, the golden retriever when it comes to his movies. So yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I like it. I like it. Alex, you saw uh, everything everywhere all at once as well. I did. I could talk about that movie for quite a long time. Well, um, give me but, your once because I'm seeing it Saturday. I'm seeing oh, it Saturday. Really? Yeah. Okay. So give me your one sentence review without one spoilers. Review without spoilers. The movie that has made me reflect the most in quite some time. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> I like it. That's. I know I know some of our listeners by this point have definitely seen that movie. I'm curious what others think about it, what your thoughts are about it. I'll see it by the time you send them to me. And I'd be curious to to get that conversation going because I've 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 only heard good things. I, I'm I'm trying to go in with not high expectations though, because everyone's saying it's great. So I'm just gonna be like, eh, we'll see. I, I doubt it can live up to that sort of hype. Yeah, if you let it get to it, maybe it will. I mean, I knew everyone said it was great. I didn't read. I haven't read anything anyone's said about it. I'm considering writing something on it, but I don't know. We'll see if it happens. Um, But it's, uh, yeah, it's good. good. Cool. All right. Well, I think we get into this week's film, Alex, Phantom of the Opera. Let's do it. Are you ready? Yeah. Based on the 1910 novel of the same name, Phantom of the Opera is the second Phantom film released by Universal after its 1925 silent counterpart. As the first adaptation in full Technicolor, The Phantom of the Opera 1943 is the only Universal horror film to receive any Academy Awards, which I know means the world to you, Alex. (laughs) But does this film shine in the operatic spotlight or does it crumble without much of a good fight? Well, this is back, you know, despite being an Academy Award winning film, (laughs) uh, the film does manage to shine in the operatic spotlight. Uh, But this is also back when the Academy Awards actually gave awards to good movies. Um, But, you know, (laughs) now, why why is the operatic uh, spotlight maybe a bad thing? Well, opera sucks. (laughs) (laughs) No debate needed. But somehow, this film kept me mildly interested in what I think is probably overlong operatic moments in the film. Look at you. They're in the actual opera stuff. But I was interested throughout the film. And what makes this film special mm-hmm. is all the moments in between these opera moments and some during. But yeah. fun characters ambiguous relationships, a surprisingly unhinged bad man, (laughs) 
Uh-huh. I'm embarrassed to say, Eric, <laughs> but I thought Phantom of the Opera was more of a romance akin to like a Beauty and the Beast story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Than what we got here, uh, and uh-huh. so that was a nice surprise for me because I was kind of dreading a romance, and I I know we get that remake. I think it was in the '90s or early 2000s. Uh, yeah, 2004. Yeah, and and I picture that I picture that one being a romance, and maybe it's because for some reason in my house for years and years we had a little matchbox in the bathroom that was Phantom of the Opera. I don't know why mm. it had a little mask on it and flowers, and it was like you know very romance looking. I don't know why, or my parents probably went and saw the movie and got it like as a thing. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, but it, it's probably still in my house, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the movie was actually a pleasant surprise for me. I I just didn't kind of see this all coming. What about you? I like it. Well, what you're thinking of with that romance, Alex, is probably the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical version of The Phantom of the Opera, in which, yes, the 2004 adaptation was an adaptation of that musical, to my understanding. So, and that is much more romantic. You've got a lot of romance between uh, The Phantom and Christine, which oh. isn't that here, right? Um, I do find this film pretty charming, though it's definitely not scary or frightening or much of a universal horror film, if we're being honest. And you know you want me to be honest, Alex. Uh, that's not to say that it's bad or uninteresting. I was caught up in the melodrama of the whole affair and found myself giggling at much of the hijinks between Garonne and Dubert, even if it was overplayed to a certain extent. Mm. The first thing that struck me while watching this was the technical aspects of this film. I mean, first, the colors are just vivid. I, I really like that Technicolor look that only like the certain era Dude, you know, can so do. Good. It's really cool. Um, it's really cool. It's vintage in a sense. Um, but everything pops. It, it feels cinematic. I love that. Yeah, me but too. But really, uh, the sound design and music is on another level. I had to remind myself that this was only 1943, and that made it all the more impressive. I was impressed by the opera pieces and the stage, which was actually constructed. Um, I think it's called Sound Stage 28, Alex. It was actually constructed for the 1925 version and used in the 25 version, and it was reused here. I think it was like the only couple times it was ever used just for these movies, right? Wow. Um, I love the main theme, I think it is, called Lullaby of the Bells and how it worked its way into the show. But overall, I kept coming back to that sound design. When we were in the opera house, it was a completely different feeling than when we were sitting by Christina or Christine at her piano or when we were even down below with the Phantom and had more of this hollow sound. Very impressive for 1943. I mean, 19. there's a huge leap between the 1925 silent one, um, which I'll talk about later, Alex, and this one, despite only being 18 years. You see movies now, you think 18 years ago is not a huge jump. This is an absolute huge jump. Um, not to say the other one's bad, but this is a huge jump yeah. in, in c- cinema. Wow. I mean, I haven't seen the original, but your other points, I have to agree. Like, like you said, the sound design is stellar. It has a lot of impact, no matter where the film is taking place. Whether mm-hmm. it's in, it's in in his loft, under the house, or under the uh, opera, opera house, anywhere it 
anywhere sound is, this film really capitalizes it. Like it's just great. And combined, like you said, with these beautiful Technicolor images, like, dude, I, I was like, this kind of looks better than a lot of stuff now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. everything, I love how everything's popping. It just is so vibrant and just awesome. You mm-hmm. know, like the, these two things that have its own concerto of its own. Um, yeah. not, but nothing to throw acid in someone's face over. <laughs> no, <laughs> but not only is the sound design stellar. And the colors, but the opera house, like you said, it is its own character here. These ceilings are huge, mm-hmm. large open spaces. It really does feel like this labyrinth. And it is totally believable that some dude could totally just hide in the walls away from authorities in this massive place. Yeah. Because it does feel so massive in every single room. And I'll tell you what, though, and this is probably leans me uh, into. Maybe me not understanding what Phantom of the Opera was, but the violence in this is surprising. Mm. I didn't expect uh, Claude. Is it Clauden? Edric. Yeah. It, we'll the Phantom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll just call him the Phantom because I don't know how to say his last name. You know, that's <laughs> what they use throughout most of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, the Phantom, whenever he does murder someone. I didn't expect him to do that. And when it did happen, that was a surprise. But then when he goes on a killing spree, that yeah. was crazy. <laughs> you know, he kills uh-huh. two women, a police officer, a large group of people with a chandelier. Uh, you know, and most of his murders did make sense uh, in terms of, like, I guess for his worldview. You know, there are people that stood in the way of him accomplishing something. But murdering the large swath of people with a chandelier and what was our. Yeah, understandably like a very tense and shocking moment for me was very cool. I mean, when this is happening, you think the authorities are going to prevent him from doing it. Cause it, it, you know, he's doing it for so long and we keep cutting to shots of people looking for him. I thought they were going to stop him. Uh, and so when he actually is able to pull it off, that was a pretty big surprise for me. And it, it definitely adds to his like threat level on this. But, but I do have to say him killing all those people, with the chandelier, mm-hmm. I don't know if it quite made as much sense as the other murders, uh, <laughs> but it was enjoyable nonetheless. Even though he does hesitate, right? Like there's a sense, I, I, there's a moment where I think he hesitates on that and he's like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, but another aspect, and, and this is, plays into your point, Alex, another aspect that fascinated me about this film was just how it starts off with Enrique as the main character and how it gives our villain an entire backstory. I'm curious mm. about how it worked for you. It sounds like it did, Alex, but it definitely worked yeah. for me because it made me invested in the Phantom character. He was such a he's such a sweet character, right? He Claude is. Rains was magnificent as a sympathetic character. We get to see his full life situation and how he really is at the end of his rope at Christine's expense. Um I'm mm-hmm. curious about how he viewed Christine, actually, because yeah. while an element of romantic involvement has always been implied in Phantom Films is what you expected, Alex, yeah. I definitely feel like there's less of that here than in the other versions that I've come across. I viewed his involvement with Christine more as a fatherly or uncle-like sort of involvement, though, I mean, there are romantic undertones there. Uh, By investing so much in Christine, he's trying to do what has never been done for him before. When he tries to submit his concierto, he's told that every violinist 
has a concerto. He's written off despite his talent because as another character says when they're basically stealing his concerto, Eric doesn't have name recognition. And this is the same as Christine initially and is why Eric seems drawn to her. David Lardner's review in The New Yorker dismissed this film. He says, by no means a sample of the march of progress in the film world. The old version had Lon Chaney, who scared you plenty. And the new one has Claude Rains, who somehow doesn't. That was supposed to be a dismissal of the film, Alex. But I actually think it lends itself to what this film is trying to do. The fact that it somehow doesn't paint Claude Rains into a monster despite what he ends up doing is pretty impressive. This film uh, is awesome in that way. The the first 30 minutes are the most impressive. I think you can break this into 30 minute segments. You've got the making of the Phantom in those first 30 minutes. You've got like the haunting of the theater section in the middle and then the investigation and chase at the end. And personally, I find those first 30 minutes, the making of the Phantom to be the most interesting. Yeah, I gotta say that the face reveal, it made me wonder if this guy, if his face is like inspiration for the Batman villain Two-Face. Mm, there you go. It looked a lot like it. I don't know. I kind of want to look <laughs> into that. <laughs> it, it might be. It might be for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that I didn't really, I didn't really expect a lot out of this movie. Uh, but one thing that I really didn't expect was a love triangle. And not only that, but a love triangle that somehow works, even though it's humorous, it's quick-witted and fun, and a movie about a guy going around a opera murdering people. You know, it could have easily fell into this melodramatic, eye-roll-inducing, just like pain to watch. But instead, the dynamics between Garen and Dubert, like, they're pretty great. Like, And I could see a valid complaint about this movie maybe being that Maybe those tones don't quite fit with the rest of the film, but for me, their chemistry just makes it work. I think yeah. it's the charm of the two leads with Christina mm-hmm. kind of being aloof about what is <laughs> happening. She's yeah. not even aloof, but it's almost like she just doesn't even care, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a, a testament to her as well and in some mm-hmm. ways. But it really adds to us, or it adds to the film, I think because it makes us care about what happens to both of those individuals. Yeah. I don't think I could pick one. You know, this isn't a. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of a Twilight reference. Jacob, uh, what's the other character? Edward. Edward. Yeah, this isn't yeah. an Edward and, J- and Jacob moment, right? This. Yeah. <laughs> this is like you. I felt like I love them both equally because they're both like the perfect comedic duo. I wonder if mm-hmm. they did anything else together. Honestly, I kind of want to look into that now. They look similar. What's funny, what I find really funny is just how they look similar. They have (laughs) the exact same mustache. They have the exact same build. They have the exact same hair. They're so similar in in their personality. So it's so funny. And, of course, they're both drawn to Christine. And, of course, she really – it seems like she can't tell them apart either. (laughs) (laughs) It does feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah. And I just like, I like how they use them because it makes me care about them and what happens to them as the stakes continue to increase. Yeah. Now, another aspect of the film that I, I, again, I appreciate is that they leave the Phantom's obsession, like how you were talking about with Christine, nebulous. Like, it feels like he is either a much bigger stalker than we imagined, like before he becomes the Phantom, Mm -hmm. or 
he may have some sort of possibly familial relationship with her. Like, yeah, I even thought that there might be a moment where it's revealed that he might be her dad or something because yeah. that would actually make a lot of sense with everything else he was trying to do for her. Uh, and, and he completely disre- disregards his own safety and well being for her throughout the entire film. So it's just mm. very very interesting and i like that it's nebulous though because i can guess and i can and i can come up with my own story yeah uh, yeah which is which is just i think great films do that so you know i'm not certain of that but i do think it's a possibility yeah a good film's not going to give you every single answer uh, mm-hmm. right and i i did read alex that uh, a little bit of research on my ad. I did oh, add. Wow. Are uh, you on Monsters versus Men? Yeah, I, I know. I know it. Um, well, let's not be too harsh on me, Alex. You just revealed yourself as a Twilight fan, and the reason we're doing the Universal series is to get to our Twilight series. But I, I digress. I, I hope. I, I wonder if listeners <laughs> have noticed that I, I keep trying to make Twilight references throughout. Yes, uh, look, I'm, I'm starting to pick up on this, Alex. Uh, <laughs> big, big fan, big fan. I've, wa- I've watched about half of one of the movies. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, though, is in my quote-unquote research, I <laughs> came across something that was saying originally they were, were thinking about making Phantom, the Phantom, her dad. Uh, like that oh. was part of the original script. So you're not too far off the mark. Now they didn't reveal that they kind of took that part out of there, but you're, it's still inspired in that sort of way because I was having some of those questions too about their relationship because he is much older. It, he doesn't seem interested in her in this romantic sort of way uh, most of the time. So it was, it was interesting in that regard. Uh, my, my one complaint in this film might be the very end Um, because I feel like it's a little rushed, right? And we've seen these rushed endings before Uh, we saw one last week in a sense, or just kind of unsatisfying in a sense when it just happens so quick, we don't really get that um, finite conclusion to our character. The Phantom's demise, it doesn't feel like he gets his due. Now, again, in my quote unquote research, Alex, I did find out that there was supposed to be a sequel to this Mm. film uh, called the climax in which the phantom survived, but we never got that sequel. And so we're left with this ending, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I I don't know. I I felt like we could have done more, but part of that might be because of me watching the 1925 movie first. What do you think about the ending, Alex? Yeah, I, I liked it. I do. I did feel like there was a scene missing there uh, between the time that things start to fall and when we see the violin uh, on the ground and the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did feel like a scene was missing there, but I didn't feel like it was quite as abrupt as some of these other Universal monster movies uh, endings that we've had. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it was a little rushed, but I'm, I'm actually, it's not too too much of a problem for me. I liked the touch of him playing the piano there to the orchestra upstairs. That was cool. Very cool. (laughs) Uh, I think, again, kind of to transition, Alex, I think the reason it felt a little uh, rushed to me was just because uh, I watched the 1925 version for MVM Plus, which MVM Plus this week 
We're continuing our solo silent series with a review of the 1925, The Phantom of the Opera. I'll save most of my comparisons for that review, Alex, because it's really quite fascinating the differences between these two and where they put their focus. And let's just say like the last 30 minutes is the last five minutes uh, in the silent film is the last five minutes in this film. So, um, it's, and, and we get no backstory. I'll say that. We get no backstory <laughs> of the Phantom. And the last five minutes th- that everything happens in the 1943 version yeah. is about a 30-minute sequence, kind of a chase sequence and, and a hunting <laughs> sequence um, in the silent film. So it's really quite interesting, the differences between the two. Wow. Those are over on MVM Plus at patreon.com forward slash Pod. I will say I didn't put too many spoilers in this review. So if you're just like, huh, I'm curious about that. I I might watch the movie. I might not check it out anyway. I I think you'll enjoy it. I I also uh, have a little just family fiasco story at the front end of that episode. So you may enjoy that over (laughs) patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. But before we get into our awards, Alex, let's get into a rotating segment this week with Getting Cultured with Kyo Itoshi. みなさんこんにちは。今日へと一緒に学ぼうによこそ。みんなの大好きな怪獣映画の中で今まで気がつかなかった日本の文化や歴史についてまあなんじゃいましょう。絶対楽しいよ。エリックとアレックスがいろい
I get it, but yeah, no, I I, I like his performance. I haven't seen him in other things, to be honest. Well, uh, I don't think his performance here is the same as when he is a mummy or a Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> valid, <laughs> very valid. <Alex. laughs> All right, let's go ahead and jump into our awards. Then, compelling character award. Let's start with you, Alex. Yeah, for the first time ever, I have a duet: Raúl oh. Dubert and Antonol. Uh, Garan. I think it's Dubair and, and Guran. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Giran. We'll just say Giran, like Gamros. Giran. There we go. Um, they're a duo, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they belong together. They're best friends for life. Um, and I think they've realized that at the end of the movie when they realize that, that yeah. they're yeah. just not going to get the girl. She's <laughs> moving on to greener pastures, aka just. But thinking much, I just I, they're. Their relationship is so funny. And I, I love that uh, Dubert, um, he creates, he, he crafts that statue, that bust that looks really like Lena Headey, a lot more like Lena Headey than it does Christine. Yeah. And <laughs> and that uh, Antonol, he, he picks it up and gifts it to her uh-huh. <laughs> right in front of him. Like their whole dynamic is awesome. And I just want like a buddy... A, a, a buddy comedy with the two of them because Maybe that's I what thought the, they were so great. For the sequel, Alex, it's just going to be the two of them. Like he, yeah. the Phantom was going to stay dead. <laughs> and it's just the two of them and their hijinks. <laughs> uh, that was good. I did uh, really like the chase scene um, above the theater oh, where yeah. uh, which I can't even remember which do, ones. What do bear? So so do yeah. bear? He jumps on the cloth. On the well, uh, no, Guran <laughs> jumps on the cloth because he's the he's the baritone, and then Dubert, right. who's the officer, sees yes. him there, and he's like, "Did you see that?" He's like, "No, I saw you, <laughs> or I was yes. chasing you, yeah, waiting for you," which was interesting. That was a good, that was a cool scene for sure. Very cool, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, gotta give him a lot of props. What about you, Eric? Uh, my compelling character was Eric, not necessarily the Phantom. Whenever he kind of trans trans forms into this quote unquote monster, but the character buildup, as I said, those first 30 minutes, I was uh, transfixed in his character development uh, over the course of the first third of this film, really trying to figure out what his relationship was, what his motivations were for helping Christine. He has a huge shift, of course, whenever he becomes phantom, though his motivations stay the same. Really it's the compelling nature of, uh, of the backstory, though, that draws me to that character, so I, I've got to give it to him. Yeah, I, I, I think he does a great job. I like how you divided him between his phantom and his early persona, but they are different. They are, they are different. I know. I, they are I, different, so it's fair. I think it's fair. it's interesting. Yeah, like it's almost a different character, you know, um, in a sense. So yeah, I've got to give it to the phantom before he was the phantom. <laughs> well, now Eric. What's your most memorable line award? All right. My most memorable line comes from the Phantom talking to Christine, who says, you'll love it here when you get used to the dark and you'll love the dark too. It's friendly and peaceful. It brings rest and relief from pain. It's right under the opera. The music comes down and the darkness distills it, cleanses it of the suffering that made it. Then it's all beauty. And life here is like a resurrection. Hmm. Really cool, right? Uh, because it personifies everything that the Phantom represents. 
So yeah. uh, I, I love that line. Uh, the suffering that made it right cleanses it of the suffering that made it. He's reflecting back on the, the sweat, the blood, sweat and tears that he put in to the theater. And he's dismissed of course. Right. right. Um, but he's putting, uh, he's reflecting back on the suffering that he went through in order to make it what he, what it was, um, which I just think is, is really cool. Very, very. How about you? Um, yeah, mine is uh, the, the some of the I guess the oh, I don't even know what their the characters names are, but they're like the the people running the opera house. They're talking, uh-huh. yeah. And this is right after uh, Eric has committed his first murder, and they're like, you know, I can't believe that after twenty years, like a man, like, like this is what he does after he leaves, and, and then one of the, another, another guy responds and says. After 20 years with the Paris Opera, a man is capable of anything. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> it was a that's pretty a good, good little comedic line. They put yeah, in yeah, yeah. It would apply to you too, I think, if you had to sit through 20 years of opera, Alex. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> what about your Can't Believe That Acting Award? I want to give it to Jane Farrar as Bianca Coley. Okay. I think she is an awesome villain. <laughs> she is like completely despicable uh uh, in her role and i just think she knocks that role out of the park yeah (laughs) she's just like you know every little thing she is trying to poke a hole in and she's just the funny thing is that she's like so paranoid but it turns out she's also right Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know she's just accusing the wrong people true true uh, no, I, yeah, that's a good choice. Great choice. I didn't, I didn't consider her. Uh, I thought Claude Rains would be great to give it to, right? He's, mm-hmm. the, he's the star, uh, but I already used him in my coolest character or compelling character. So I'm going to give it to Susanna Foster who plays Christine. At first I wasn't sold into her role, but I think she really grows into it. And by the end, when she is kidnapped and, uh, Eric is revealed and the mask is uh, and he is unmasked. Her reaction to that is one of horror. It, it makes us mm. frightened for her um, because she is completely taken aback. Uh, and I, I, I bought it. I, I bought her reaction. So she really grew into that role for me. Uh, I think she does a great job. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Eric, All right. what about your, oh, that's a good shot award. Yeah, sure. Uh, mine is a great shot, but also it's just a great highlight of the sound design, Alex. And it's when Christine is finally singing, she has the lead role in the opera and we get her above. And then we get this shot. It's a cut right to the phantom, right underneath a long shot. So we see him looking up right in the darkness, listening. And the sound at that time also changes. It's muffled, but I love that contrast and I love that shot. It doesn't come back to it. It only happens for about five seconds and then it's done. But I wish we did come back to that shot maybe one more time interspersed with the the stuff that was happening upstairs because it was just such a good moment and really highlighted that contrast. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a good one. That is a good one. There's, there, there's several in here that are very emotional i guess you would say which is leads me to mine okay and it's the long lullaby played by 
um, Eric when he's having to show that he has, still has the skills. Mm-hmm. And he plays that little by, and it goes on forever. But it's so, like, such an awesome melody, I guess, that yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. And then also the shot that just like sits in really close in on him while he plays is great because it shows like if I remember right, it shows his handwork and everything and yeah, it's just very very cool. Yeah, well that's the perfect transition to my unique award from this week, Alex. Uh, which isn't a comedic one; it's just the best musical moment award. Yeah, and I thought about going with. Susanna Foster or Christine's high note um, that is incredible. It goes to that, that close up of her face as she hits that incredibly piercing note, uh, which is cool, but it's got to go to the scene you were just mentioning, which is uh, the violin solo as Claude reigns, as Eric tries to um, justify himself. Yeah. It looks to me, Reigns convinces me that he knows how to play the violin. Yep, me too. I don't, I don't know if he does, but he convinced me that he did. Uh, and it's just, you're right, the, the melody is great. Uh, it's full of emotion in its simplicity, and that's what works about it. And it's, that's why it is moving and effective, even if the director of the orchestra understands that it's not the most sophisticated piece he's still touched by the simplicity of it yep yep he is and then i guess that brings me to my unique award yeah which is i do this all the time award and it goes to the lady that threw the acid in his face Mm. she threw it so casually at him and had no reaction when it did hit him Uh it's just like she's like just super chill about it so oh yeah you know like this is a this is a a uh, woman that knows how to wield acid, and she is not to be trifled with. Well, she's just standing there, you know, like unassuming. She's not even like yelling or doing anything, and then all of a sudden she just throws it. And you're like, she oh. looks down at the guy that he just killed, which I thought he just passed out. I didn't think he was dead at the time. Yeah, and she just flings it on him, and then just like mm. takes one step back, but no emotion on her face. Yeah. Really. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's good. All right, final thoughts and tiered rating, Alex. Do you want me to go first or are you going first? I'll go ahead and go. Okay. This was a very pleasant surprise for me. I didn't expect to be captivated throughout this movie. I didn't expect Technicolor. Honestly, that was a nice little surprise. And I didn't expect to have such fun characters and a little bit of mystery with our main character slash villain. This just had a lot of surprises for me. And it's so well done. The dialogue is nice and punchy. It feels like it's always delivering. Uh, It just has a lot of purpose to it. And so I got to give this a Godzilla tier. This thing was a pleasant surprise through and through. A movie I would probably recommend to anybody. Dang. I'll tell you, Alex. I surprise you sometimes yeah. <laughs> with my ratings, but you're, you're surprising me this week with your rating. I did not expect that you would have this movie that high. Um, <laughs> Cause yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, I, and I like it for the same reasons. I think that you like the movie, honestly uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air, I think to get that technicolor and the technicolor is just so unique and used so well here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, 
convince you sometime to watch the movie Red Shoes if you like this. Okay. Red Shoes is pretty awesome as as well. And it has some similarities uh, if you liked Phantom of the Opera. But yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a Godzilla tier film. It may not reach the heights of my my highest Godzilla tier films. Um, but with that said, it is so purposeful. I like that word that you use at the end of those thoughts. The word purposeful, I think, makes sense for this. There's not a scene in here that's not trying to accomplish what this film is is wanting to accomplish, whether it is those moments of levity between our two star-crossed lovers, <laughs> not for each other, but both for Christine, uh, or whether it's a moment of mystery with, with the Phantom or the moment of horror or the character development in the first 30 minutes. All of it kind of makes sense and, and fits into place even though it's drastically different than other versions of the Phantom that I've seen and drastically different from the 1925 version, which will be remembered in a completely different way. So yes, this is a Godzilla tier rating for me. Um, it just hits that Godzilla tier, but I, I think it deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Glad you right, me up here. Next, next <laughs> week, we have got uh, our last film before our... Jurassic Park intermission. We've got Son of Dracula. Any rhymes for Son of Dracula? Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping that Son of Dracula is pretty much Immacula. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I don't don't expect much Allah. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Honestly, I liked it. I, I liked it, Alex. Uh, oh yeah, we, thanks, Eric. When we watch Dracula's son, will it be the one, hun, or will we shun it a ton? There we okay. go. There you go. <laughs> hey, that that's good. You don't normally put a bunch of rhymes that close together. I, your your flow was impeccable. Oh, impeccable, impeccable, Alex. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback uh, on everything, everywhere, all at once from the top of the show on Phantom of the Opera 1943 or the Phantom of the Opera 1925 at mvmpod.com or you can email us at mvmpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read some feedback on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at mvm underscore pod. Become a bargain base by at patreon.com forward slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't join at this time, a review or a share always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms Cell Block B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Jude the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't hold your frenemies bust. And try, try to, to stay, stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you.
Um, because as another character says, uh, do you hear the storm in the background, Alex? I did. Is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just in a grocery store. No, it's a crazy, it's an absolute crazy storm. <laughs> it's, it adds to the mood. It feels like a Phantom of the Opera moment. 